All right, what is good? Ready to roll? Yeah, let's get it. Sounds good there. What's up, bro? What's good, dude? <laughs> it's cool to be doing this in person. I know, huh? I haven't. I don't think I've ever actually recorded a podcast with somebody um, in person. So in person is always a cool experience. Actually, I've done a couple, but yeah, we are live on Instagram. We're live on TikTok and recording at the same time. I know we got a full on setup going We've on. We got a lot going on here. So you good to just dive right in? To questions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, I think the the preface for the podcast listeners, at least. Um, so we're in Seattle at the moment at another mentorship event. What um, what do you feel like you get out of these events that we come up here to every three months, right? Because I feel like we talk about it a lot and like we do podcasts back and forth together oh, with one sure. another. And um, like w- like today, what did you get from today? Like being with all of the other guys and and whatnot. <sighs> I mean, I think always just being around everyone. For me, it really helps. I don't know about you, but I think, like, to be transparent, the comparison is one of the biggest things that I struggle with. Like, when you're off, like, just seeing what everyone else is doing on social media, everyone else is crushing in it, and it's like, fuck, I don't feel like, relative to where everyone else is at, I don't feel like I'm where I want to be. So then, like, to come to these events and, like, everyone's so transparent, I think, one, that's, that's always very helpful for me. But just, like, and I can't even fully explain it, but I feel like just being friends with all you guys, like, I just always leave these events so much more fired up and feeling so much more confident and so much clearer about, like, the direction that I want to go. Yeah. Um, I think that's, like, one of the biggest things for me. And then as a whole, like, I was thinking about this because it was almost two years ago, like, to this date, the first time I came to Seattle. And that completely changed my life because I know, like, and speaking to all the coaches listening, um... That for me was like like struggling with imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Like before I came out the first time I ever was here to like one of Cody's events, it was very much like, I'm just not good enough. I don't like <laughs> all these people that are do crushing in the industry are like so much smarter than me. And that's the thing. And then I remember like meeting Cody and meeting all these people. And like as far as coaching skills or like knowledge, we're not that much different. It's just like mm-hmm. these people have found are better at ignoring self-doubt than I currently am and that's like why they're where I want to be and I'm not and they've just been at it for longer exactly you know what I mean like I feel like even like for somebody like him who who he helps us with our businesses because he's been in a position that we were in earlier in his career like he had to go through that same stuff that we're going through you know what I mean and the only reason that he is where he was is because or where he is now is just because he's put in more time than we have you know what I mean so it's just like that stepping stone it's good to get that perspective I think, you know what I mean? Like no, absolutely. just to continue on doing what you're doing and be able to hear from him and hear from everybody else in the group too. Like we're all going through the same things or have been through them at one point or another. No, exactly. Exactly. It's just like being able to talk to someone that's even just a couple of steps ahead of you is so helpful. And then mm. other people that, and I know we've talked about this before too, like other people that can actually just relate to where you are coming from and you can just yeah. like I feel like the conversations we have here not even necessarily like when we're there working through 90 day outcomes and things like that but like the conversations we have at the Airbnb 
are so powerful for me yeah. because everyone just gets it. Like these are always the conversations that flow the easiest for me, definitely. And I, I just appreciate that, dude. Same with me. Like working online as a trainer, it can get super lonely because nobody else really like truly understands no, for sure. what you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. When people ask like, what do you do? And you tell them that oh, I run an online training nutrition company. Like, oh, there's not a whole lot to go from that. Cause most people don't really even understand what it is. Right. You know what I mean? So it's super nice. Like the, like last night when we got here from the airport, I don't think we stopped. Like we, we met up and I, we started talking and we didn't stop talking. No, until for like, sure. Until our, until we were in bed and going to sleep. So, and that's the craziest thing about these to me too, because I'm, I'm not normally someone that can even like Same. carry a conversation. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> fuck. Okay. Oh, now I have to speak. Okay. Yeah. Same. Cool. So, so yeah. Anyway, um, we got some questions here. Let's hop into Let's it. get it. All right. So a couple questions here. Um, if people live want to drop questions, we'll probably get to a couple, but we have bulking a guide, LOL, how to approach it smart. Pretty broad here. Um, so bulking as a whole, I think that one miss, I think that we can go two directions here. One, you can definitely like the classic dreamer bulk where you just put on way too much fat, way more than is needed. And, um, you have to go through an extended fat loss phase to get back to the sim- some semblance of lean. So you can easily overdo it. But I think on the flip side, and it's almost more common now, is like people taking the idea of lean gains too far and not actually getting any muscle building out of their gaining phase. So, mm-hmm. and of course this depends, like this is very context dependent on where you're coming from. So like the longer, the less time you spent with your training and nutrition dialed in, the more likely it is that you are going to be able to recomp. So build muscle and lose fat at the same time. That said, for like a more intermediate, like if you've had your training and nutrition dialed in for 1.5, 2.5 years, et cetera, it's less and less likely you're going to be able to kind of get both those things at the same time. So then I think a lot of people mess up and just spin their wheels. Well, I want to stay super lean. And some, some lucky people can stay super lean all the time and build a good amount of muscle. But for most people, it's going to take first going through a dedicated building phase. So from there, I would say first, like make sure that you're actually adhering to a pretty consistent rate of gain. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, again, and the, the thing I always tell my clients is like fat loss is very easy. If you gain a little bit of excess fat, you can easily lose one to two pounds of fat in a week. But building one to two pounds of muscle in a month is great progress for mm. someone that's like intermediate to advanced. That's hard. Exactly. Yeah. And like, there's so many other variables that go into that. Like if we're like walking this fine line, like you're now, again, we know you don't have to be in a surplus to build muscle, but it is going to push you in a lot more optimal scenario mm. to do so. So it doesn't make sense to like try to always tiptoe this line between like, maybe I'm in a surplus, but I'm like dipping in and out of a deficit. I think that's one big thing that holds a lot of people back is not going into a, a surplus not, honestly i would say not being as aggressive enough and i mean yeah. you don't have to gain fat or you don't have to like put, i should say you don't have to go to like the dream bulk route where we're just like eating five thousand calories a day and gaining excessively but like trying to gain about 0.25 to 0.5 percent of body weight per week or i would actually make that about say one to 1.5 percent of body weight per month i think is a pretty good rule of thumb for anyone past like a true candidate for recomp. So you're not a pure beginner to, and there's a lot of exceptions there too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you've been following a smart science-based training program. You've been smart with your nutrition for, let's say the last year, 
okay, you're probably better off and you've been very consistent and it's not like, hey, I'm severely detrained or anything of that nature. You're probably better off just going the route of a dedicated build with a consistent rate of gain. I would agree 100%. So one um, one question that I know that I get a lot just from, from normal people that wonder about this is how far should you take that, right? Like at what point should you stop bulking and come back to – to potentially going through a deficit phase or whatnot to, to not get yourself too far over the ledge. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's yeah, a common no, question sure. that comes up. So like in your, like most people will say what body fat percentage is that, right? And like as a, as a trainer, it's like, well, it's not necessarily come down to like a specific body fat percentage because we don't right. ever know specific body fat percentages right. really anyway because there's so much variation. But like where would be your guidelines for that? If somebody said to you, like when, what body fat percentage should I stop bulking at? Like, how would you assess that? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. So first, I think the thing to understand is kind of like this, we could call it settling point or like the range where people will productively build is different. So first, the thing to realize is if you're beyond a certain point of leanness, one, we know that your fat cells actually influence your hormones to a pretty large degree. So if we're below a certain amount of body fat, your body just will prioritize building or adding fat over adding muscle. So we all have to like, we all have a point where we can't be leaner than this in order to productively build. Right. That's a good point. Which that's not, that doesn't get brought up a whole lot. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like, like if you're coming off of a photo shoot, biofeedback is really shitty. You're probably Mm going to have to add some fat back before you productively build, which is another like to the lean gains, like, it's a great idea, but it's not reality for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, at least to get like well above average physiques. Now from there, um, on the flip side of that, there was the idea of like P ratios, right? Like below or above a certain body fat percentage, then a disproportionate amount or a greater proportion of and P the P and P ratio stands for partitioning ratio. So above this certain body fat percentage then a disproportionate amount of the calories we take in are distributed as or shuttled to fat rather than towards building muscle. That said, like very recently, I know Mass came out with an article that showed there wasn't really a difference in like the ratio of muscle to fat gain for people that were from like I believe it was like ten percent to like twenty five percent body fat. It was the same. It, yeah, like, there wasn't a difference. And so I think that that seems less and less relevant. I would say like the top end of it is really. What are you comfortable with? Yeah, I think I the agree. the main determinant there is, and this is where long term periodization comes in, right? Like mm-hmm. this is why we talk about periodization for our clients because then we can see like, okay, so we know that you're building, but six eight months down the road from now, we like your ultimate goal is to do a photo shoot. Like I think a couple think of a couple of clients that I'm taking through this process right now. So we know like on the flip side, we don't want you to gain excessively through this time and then have to go through like because that would push this photo shoot date way back. So mm-hmm. I think really like that's the biggest determining factor. But then also when we're talking about, okay, below this certain threshold of body fat, biofeedback feels very poor. You're not training as productively. Also, I think on the flip side, like many people like, okay, above this certain point percentage of body fat, then again, like biofeedback isn't as good. Training performance isn't as good. You feel a little bit more sluggish. So I would say, for, I would, I have too. <laughs> I would say for most people, that's like, physiologically that's the cutoff point but then i think as well there is so much like the mental side that's of things. what i was like, gonna bring up yeah and i i mean I, take that away if you want to no i agree that. i just think like it comes to a point when you're when you're tired of it and like the mental motivation to keep bulking like i have one client andrew right now that i can think of 
that is in that position. We've been um, bulking him, lean bulking him for the last six months, and he's to the point now where he's just sick of it. He's sick of eating that much food. He's sick of um, push. Like he's just tired. He's a little bit more fatigued. He's just to right. a point now where he's ready for the periodization. First, because the biofeedback is starting to come back a little bit poor. But more than that, like just his mental motivation. Like he just needs a change. You know what I mean? Oh, like no, you can't sure. do the same thing um, forever without it getting monotonous and getting stagnant. And so yeah. having yeah, having periodized goals over the year, maybe part of the year is to bulk. And then like once motivation is completely gone, you're getting a little bit more puffy and like, you're not excited about it anymore. Well, then it's probably a good idea to transition. You got to be careful there too, because you don't want to get to a point to where you're doing it too often to where you're not moving the needle forward in either direction. So I would say like, make sure you're giving it enough time. Like if you're going to go into a bulk, like Make sure you're giving it at least, I would say, at least a solid 12 weeks at the minimum to see actual real um, success from it if you're a more intermediate, advanced type type trainee. So, so yeah. And again, like, it's so nuanced. And that's why yeah. like, periodization and having a coach that looks at longer than, like, okay, where do you want to be three months from now? Cool. Like, in the next six months, 12 months, next couple of years, like, where do you want to be? And making sure, like... Again, like if you want to build a significant amount of muscle in the next like two years from now, you want your physique to look significantly more muscular than it is now, then the large amount of that time is going to need to be spent in building phases. Yeah. And that's the thing to understand as well. Like it is all a trade-off, but I'd agree. And I think like appetite is a good one as well. As far as like mm-hmm. once we get to the point where we're consistently like, okay, appetite is way down. It's getting to be a challenge. And that's like a psychological drain for me. I think that's another good sign typically that like we're pushing, we're pushing, we're pushing. Um, then at the very least, typically it's a good time to go through a mini cut. Yeah, no, I'd agree with hundred percent. I think we, we spent plenty of time on, on that question. Let's move on to the next one. All right. How does stress or lack of sleep make you gain weight? Um, so very simply, it just, you're going to hold on to your cortisol levels are going to spike a little bit. Your, um, your stress hormones, which are then going to have you retaining a little bit of water, um, which is, it's basically just comes down to holding on to a little bit of water weight from your stress levels being up in the simplest of terms, right? Mm-hmm. And then past that, actually, when cortisol increases, um, ghrelin, the hunger hormone, is typically released alongside that. So sometimes we'll see, and I know like UC Berkeley has done some studies where they show that like even after a night of poor sleep, um, cravings for processed foods increase. Mm-hmm. So like, and it makes sense if we look at like, okay, cortisol's job is cortisol is essentially going to break things down quickly for energy, right? So then it makes sense like if we're okay, then so thus alongside cortisol is going to be released as hormones, it's going to kind of cause us to seek out like, and like in that case, okay, highly processed foods. So think like a sugary food that would be a quick source of energy. Not that those foods are bad, but like in this case, it's going to make you a little bit more prone to overeat. And then I would say past that, um, you're likely going to be more sedentary the next day, right? Yeah. And then maybe inhibition for like sticking to your macros. As a whole, you're probably a little bit more likely to overeat just because willpower is a little bit lower. But there's not a mechanism where like, okay, you're stressed, so thus fat loss has completely stopped. Or, oh, shit, you only slept five hours last night instead of six. Some okay. people can lose more when they're stressed, that's, too, even, like, right. you can see people under eat because of that, too. And that's that's a good point, too. I think that I was, in, in the blog I was writing this morning, I was just talking about this, actually, like, anecdotally, I know I've seen, like, some clients are stress eaters, which, and then that, like, yeah. cortisol, ghrelin relationship makes sense. But on the flip side, and I, I know this is how I am, if I'm stressed, I just, like, it's very, I don't have an appetite. Yeah. 
Same. So like, yeah, so for that, I think that question is very nuanced, right? Like it can go either way, just depending on the person. And really like if their eating is tied to their emotions in any way, I think that that plays a very big role to it. I'd agree. I'd agree. But yeah, I think the thing to understand is like people directly does it inhibit fat loss stress or sleep no but in a roundabout way it can change your hip behaviors and then slow fat loss yeah no absolutely all right next up running a powerlifting program right now after my heavy dead day two hours workout i feel crazy weak why so what i would say there i mean a deadlift is straight up just one of the most fatiguing movements that we can do Mm. um and thus I honestly don't really have much deeper thoughts on it than that. I mean, there's not very fatiguing. Yeah, how? Where else are you going to go with this? Like, the more the the heavier that you're lifting on a deadlift, the closer you're getting to failure on that lift. That's probably one of the most taxing lifts that you could do in Mm -hmm. the gym. And so, just understanding that um, if you're going to go heavy and lift relatively close to failure on a deadlift, being fatigued afterwards is extremely normal. That just means that that you went hard and like, Uh. yeah, there's not a whole lot. And that's why, like, we talk about the idea of stimulus to fatigue ratio so much with clients. That's why I don't love deadlifts. I I don't either. And that's, like, less and less and less. Like, I program a lot of Romanian deadlifts or, like, a trap bar deadlift. Mm -hmm. But it's so rare, except for, like, a couple of clients with, like, power building goals. Okay, that makes sense Mm -hmm. then. And I think she said, okay, I'm running a powerlifting program. So, yeah, Yeah. you do do want a deadlift. Like, the specificity is important. That's true. But like for clients with aesthetic goals, and it does basically come down to how do we get adequate volume and stimulus while managing fatigue so you can recover and grow. Then like it probably doesn't make as much sense unless you want to be really good at deadlifting. Yeah, no, 100%. I think it, just like you said, it's very, very goal dependent. Like there's some people that want to build muscle, but they just love to deadlift. So that's the, that's the trade-off that you'll make because you want to enjoy what you're doing in the gym first and foremost. But understanding that there is going to be some blowback from that, right. um, just in terms of, of fatigue and how you feel for the next, for the rest of the day and potentially the next day as well. And it can affect a little bit of your training for the next few days. Um, it's just important to know those, um, setbacks and, and payoffs from the, the different exercises that you choose in the gym. That's where exercise selection becomes so important, dependent upon the goal. No, absolutely. Cool. Um, are the calories burned on your Fitbit accurate, such as burning 2,000 a day? Definitely not. I'd agree. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't pay attention to that shit. I like Fitbits for a step goal. And really, I think that's – it gets people focused on, like, okay, that's, how many hours of sleep did I get per night? Yeah, that's the only thing that, like, I'll use a, a tracker for on your wrist. I love to use my Apple Watch, but I pay no attention to how many calories that I burned through the Apple Watch. I'm using it to pay attention to steps um, because what you have to realize when it comes to how many calories you're actually burning, there's a lot more to that than just um, where your heart rate is at or how many steps that you took in the day. Your dieting history is going to have something to do with that with metabolic adaptations where, um, with where your metabolism has been in the past while depending upon where, where your caloric intake has been um, and just different things like that that come into play that don't necessarily have anything to do with the exact actions that you took in that particular day, if that makes sense. There's just way more to it than than your steps for the day oh for sure or i mean even like how your body adapts and gets stronger as like a result of the stimulus we get it with so like let's say that four thousand of those steps came from running a mile and you ran that same mile every day for two weeks the actual calories that you burn as your body adapted would get a lot less over those two weeks because your body literally wants to your body's an adaptation machine it's always pushing to get more and more efficient at whatever stimulus we're hitting it with so that's like we know that 
again, like the calories burned would decrease drastically over them in that mile over time. But your body isn't, or your Fitbit isn't going to be able to take into account all these complex factors, or like how much muscle mass does this person have versus fat mass. So there's so there's so much variability there. That's a big point too, muscle mass to the fat mass that nobody thinks about. It's just it's it's just they're just not accurate. Yeah. They're good. They're great to track steps and something that can be super useful in that sense, but don't sit and stress over how many calories you burn in your workouts and through the day, um, depending upon your, on your Fitbit. It's, you're really kicking yourself in the foot and worrying about something that at the end of the day can be anywhere from 20 to 80% off. I think I, I read a study on that in mass as well that was stating that they found that they can be anywhere from 20 to, to 80% inaccurate. So you're really wasting your time in my opinion. No, for sure. If you're, especially if you're trying to like match your calories eaten in my fitness pal to the calories burned. Yeah. That's like, I know a lot of clients hop on board who have been trying to do that. And it's like, okay, it makes sense while you're spinning your wheels. Like it's, it's helpful to have that consistent movement target that you're always hitting. But then yeah, past that point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay attention to the calories burned at all. Yeah. No, same man. I agree 100%. Dope. That is all we have for today, dude. That was a quick one. Cool. You got anything else to add? I don't think so. Cool. Well, until next time, guys, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. And we will talk to you later. Instagram, if I can figure out how to end this.